Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 today and uh, beginning the seal judgments. Um, it's going to be part one. We're going to get through part of it today and part of it next week. And uh, but I think it's going to be really fun to begin teaching through this passage uh, in chapter 6, but all the way through chapter 19, the seven-year tribulation period. And uh, so we're going to be talking about um, and kind of unpacking chapter 6 today, but also before we spend a ton of time unpacking this seven-year tribulation period, I'm going to spend some time today kind of helping us to understand the heart of God. Um, this is an extremely difficult passage uh, to teach on in the sense that um, it's a lot of gloom and doom. Um, so we need to understand the heart and the purpose of this, these, pa- this, these chapters. We need to understand why God has included them in the scripture, what his heart is in all of it. And uh, so kind of approaching it from, you know, stepping back and getting a full view of Scripture, Old and New Testament, and understanding the heart of God as much as we can as human beings, as has been revealed to us in the Word. And uh, so um, it's, it's um, I, I'll, I'll just say this and then we'll unpack it. It's, it's not God's desire to bring wrath to the earth. He sent his son to the earth to die that we might have life abundantly. With that, let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to pray, and then I'll read the passage, and we'll pray again most likely, and then we'll be seated and just see what the Lord does today. So Jesus, as we stand, we stand in awe of you. We thank you for your word, that you have given it to us so that we might know who you are and what you're about in the earth from eternity past to eternity future for all eternity, God, your word gives us insight into who you are and what you desire for us. So Lord, help us to have ears to hear, we pray, Lord God. We want to know something about your heart that we maybe don't understand fully right now. When we walk out of here, Lord, we want to know something more fully about of your heart that changes our heart toward the world that changes the heart toward the people in our lives who are difficult and who don't know you. God, that our hearts would be changed. As we were singing this song, Lord, just wanting your return and, and longing for your return, we want that, and you will. You will come, but you're pausing so that people who don't know you might come to faith. At some point, that will wrap up, but that is your heart. You want people to come to faith, avoiding the wrath and the judgment that will come to those who reject you. So I pray that, boy, we wouldn't just get excited about this study, but we would have our minds changed, our hearts challenged, and that we would have a greater sense of the Great Commission in Jesus' name, that we would have a greater sense of our responsibility in this earth that we would be more bold in Jesus' name, more faithful in Jesus' name, more obedient in Jesus' name, that we would know specifically and precisely why we are here, and it is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is why we are here. And so I pray that we would, as human beings, as people who have been adopted into the family of God, that we would get a hold of that. God, that it would grab hold of us like it's never grabbed hold of us, Lord. It would change our minds like our minds have never been changed. You would waken us, Lord God, from our stupor. So God, your will be done as we unpack this passage today. Your will be done as you speak to us. We avail ourselves to you. That means we just simply say, yes, I'm available, Lord. And so I say that. Say that with me, I'm available, Lord. Yeah, again, I am available, Lord. And as we declare that to be so, Lord, we just invite you to speak to us. We have ears to hear. We have eyes to see. We have hearts and minds to perceive and to understand what you're calling us to today. And so we invite you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Please stay standing. (laughs) There's always somebody who wants to sit. 
Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig trees shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Verse 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And so, Lord, again, we pray as we unpack today's passage in Revelation chapter 6, and as we look at other passages in the, uh, in, the, in the Bible that supports what we're studying today, I pray, God, that our, uh, our hearts would be attuned in Jesus' name. God, speak to us what we need to hear. Work in us what needs to be worked in us. Work out of us what needs to be worked out of us, we pray. Work wonderfully, supernaturally, so we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I asked Jeremy to bring me some tea. I was singing so hard during worship <laughs> that my, I was kind of losing my voice. I've got a throat lozenge. And anyway, I, I couldn't help it, man. I just... <laughs> I just wanted to sing. I knew I was going to have to preach, so I tapered it a little bit, but I was happy to be singing. Good? Yeah, you can hear that, Perry? Good, good, good. Yeah, others would disagree. (laughs) Revelation 6, 1, now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, thunder, with a loud voice like thunder, come. We know from our study in chapter 5 that the Lamb who opened the seal is none other than Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of 
the world. Jesus is the only one worthy. <laughs> He's the only one worthy to open the seals and usher in the wrath of God on the earth. But the wrath of God does not fully define God. We see the wrath of God in the Old Testament, now in the New Testament. We see the wrath of God, but the wrath of God does not fully define him. We can't define God in, term, in terms of a word, but in uh, attributes that we see throughout all the pages of Scripture. We know that God is just, and because he is just, wrath must come. But we also know that God is gracious and loving and kind. And I've experienced that all the days of my life. That God is gracious and loving and kind. Every day of my life, I experience that. Even in his correction in my life, I experience this. He's faithful. He is faithful. God is gracious and loving and kind. These are the attributes we see mostly in Scripture. We see the attributes of God's patience, especially as we've been reading through the scripture together as the body of Christ, and we read through the Old Testament, we're seeing the patience of God over and over and over again. And I think maybe all of us should identify with the people of God who require God's patience. He, we require God's patience in our lives, even as the people of Israel uh, needed God's patience in their lives. Warren Wiersbe wrote, if men and women will not yield... He said, if men and women will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there is no way for them to escape the wrath of God. Wiersbe continues, God's wrath is the evidence of his holy love for all that is right and his holy hatred for all that is evil. He said, only a soft and sentimental person would want to worship a God who does not deal justly with evil in the world. And so God is both. He is just. And so wrath will come, but he is gracious and kind and loving. His, is not, his desire is that all would come to faith and that none would perish. This is the heart of God. And so we'll unpack Revelation 6 today, giving in overview, but we will spend the bulk of our time first trying to understand the desire of God's heart. And so let's give a brief overview of Revelation chapter 6. We see in Revelation chapter 6, uh, we see what is spoken there. We see Jesus speaking of the same stuff in Matthew 24 in his Olivet Discourse. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks the same things that we see in Revelation chapter 6. And so a brief overview and more will come next week. In his message on the signs of the end of the age, in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about false Christs. And in Matthew chapter 6, we are learning about the Antichrist. And there's some different opinions about whether this rider on the white horse is the Antichrist or whether he is the Christ. And I'll unpack the reasons why I think that he can't be the Christ, but he must be the Antichrist. So Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24, number one, false Christ or Antichrist. The rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 is the Antichrist. He's the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then in Matthew 24, Jesus mentions wars and rumors of war. The rider on the red horse, in the passage that we just read, the rider on the red horse is the one who brings war to the earth. In his discourse next, Jesus mentions famines. Well, the rider on the black horse brings famine to the earth. Next, Jesus talks about death. The rider on the pale horse is named death. Then Jesus mentions the martyrs, those who will be put to death for their witness to Christ. The word martyr actually just means witness. And so if you're a witness for Christ, you're risking martyrdom. There will be people, as David was talking about earlier, he, there's going to be persecution for those who are witnesses to Christ and ultimately martyrdom for a lot of witnesses to Christ. Finally, Jesus mentions in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, universal upheaval and devastation, worldwide chaos. 
And we see the same thing in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. So we're going to unpack a lot of that, most of that next week. But before we go too far in our study, as we move forward in the study over the months, we need to remember a few things about God. We need to understand the desire of God's heart. And so the title of today's message is we need to understand the desire of God's heart. As we read through the scripture, we need to see through the pages of scripture the heart of God whose desire is to seek and to save those who are lost, to rescue people. His heart's desire is not to bring wrath, but because he is just, wrath will come, but his heart is filled with compassion, grace, kindness, and love. So we need to understand the desires of God's heart. Number one, it is God's desire to save people, not to destroy them. We need to understand that when we're praying to God and thinking about God and reading through the scripture, because we see this evidenced in the Old and the New Testament. There's no inconsistency there. There's no inconsistency between the Old and the New Testament. It is God's desire to save people, not to destroy them, number one. Number two, God clearly made a way for that salvation. It is his free gift to all who would receive it. So God's desire is that we would be saved. And he has made a way because he is good, not because we are good. He made a way because it was impossible for us in our own ability, in our own works, in our own strength, in our own capacity. It was impossible for us to get there. God clearly made a way for that salvation. It is his free gift to all who would receive it. Also, number three, those who reject salvation through Jesus Christ will live with that decision for all eternity. Those who reject salvation through Jesus Christ will live with that decision for all eternity. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today so that we understand the heart of God. And we understand that what God does in his judgment is absolutely just. And I'm going to guess, and I don't think I'm the first person to venture this guess, but it's my guess that those who are separate separated from God for all eternity will know that it was their choice. They're going to know in the face of their judgment that it was their choice, that they have been separated from God because they chose it. They are there. They will be there because they chose it. I think we see that through the pages of Scripture. So I'm going to read some New Testament passages. This first passage is Romans chapter five, verses six through 11. And I'm reading out of the amplified version. Says this, while we were still helpless, powerless to provide for our salvation, at the right time, Christ died as a substitute for the ungodly. Now, it's an extraordinary thing for one to willingly give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a good man, one who is noble and selfless and worthy, someone might even dare to die, but God. But God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified, and that word means declared free of the guilt of sin. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more certain is it that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him? And the wrath of God in this text with a definite article in Greek, anticipates the outpouring of God's wrath on rebellious and unrepentant sinners in the tribulation period. Back to Romans 5. For if we were, if while we were enemies, we were 
reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin. By his life, that is, we will be saved because Christ lives today. Not only that, verse 11, not only that, but we also rejoice in God, rejoicing in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation with God. So the wrath of of God that follows in this study is God's, it's, it's God's last resort to demonstrate his authority. It's to demonstrate his dominion. It's to demonstrate his capacity to do precisely what he said he would do in the pages of scripture. Judge unrepentant sinners. As I read through these passages, I can't help but think about God's dealing with Pharaoh. We, we were reading about this this week in our Bible reading plan. Pharaoh held the people of God captive and enslaved them. And as we read through that Old Testament picture that God gives, the, the history that God gives of his people, Egypt is a picture of the world where we're trapped in bondage, enslaved by the world, and it's God's desire, even as he did, to deliver his people into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we'll see, as we read through that, that the people got into, um, they moved out of Egypt at God's leading, but even there they had difficulty and they wanted to go back to Egypt where they at least had food to eat, where they at least had some semblance of safety. They weren't being pursued by Pharaoh. Can't help but thinking about that picture. And then in the picture now, what God is trying to do to, to save people. The people cried out for God's deliverance and God heard his people and God delivered his people. Pharaoh's heart though was hard. And no matter how bad the wrath of God was, he refused to be obedient. And there may be some here today whose hearts are hard. And no matter what gets thrown at you, no matter what God tries to do to get your attention, you continue to harden your heart. But if you're not careful, like we see in the tribulation period, and like we see with the plagues that God called out upon Egypt, he starts out with minimal and it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Why? Because he is doing everything to get your attention so that your heart is no longer hard, but that you've got a heart of flesh that is responsive and receptive to the plans and purposes of God. Do not continue to harden your heart in the face of God's plans for your life. Do not continue to pursue and desire your own plan instead of God's plan over God's plan, it will not end well for you. So the people of God cried out for God's deliverance and God heard his people and God delivered his people. Again, Pharaoh's heart was hard and no matter how bad the wrath of God was, he refused to be obedient. He had moments, Pharaoh had moments. Pharaoh had moments when it looked like he was ready to change only to return to his old ways when God's wrath waned for a moment, when the heat was lifted, Pharaoh's heart hardened up again. We read about this again in our daily Bible reading plan in, in the past week here, early in Exodus, we see the plagues that God poured out on Pharaoh. Plagues meant to do two things. What were the plagues meant to do? They were meant to do at least two things, demonstrate the power of God to Pharaoh and to his people. Because the people were trapped in Egypt for 430 years. And toward the end, when a new Pharaoh arrived, they were enslaved, enslaved uh, they were slaves to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And so God poured out the plagues to demonstrate his power to Pharaoh but also to his own people so that they would know that they can put their faith in him. So number one, to demonstrate the power of God. Number two, to cause Pharaoh to release the people of God from their bondage and slavery. 
Moses was sent by God to deliver Israel out of slavery. Pharaoh continues to deny Moses. So God sent signs to demonstrate his power, authority, and sovereignty. Pharaoh's heart was hard. It says in different ways that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It said that Pharaoh had a hard heart. The scripture tells us that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? A heart disconnected from God will always be hard to the things of God. Pharaoh's heart was a picture of that. So God turned the water of the land to blood. God made frogs to swarm the land. God sent gnats to overwhelm the people. God sent swarms of flies. God killed all the livestock in the land of Egypt. God caused boils to break out on man and beast. He sent hail and locusts and darkness and death. And yet, at every turn, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart to the plans of God. Folks, I just want to implore us today. To, we need to make sure that our hearts are tender before the Lord. And no matter what he's asking us to do, we're available to that and we're obedient to that. No matter how he asks us to live, we are available and obedient to that. That we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that everything else will be added unto us. We don't want to be like Pharaoh who continues to reap in his life. And it, again, it didn't just impact Pharaoh, but it impacted his family and his nation. Your disobedience, your hard heart will not only impact you, but it will impact your family and the people around you. We don't live our lives in a bubble, and the way that we live our lives impacts in a positive way or a negative way those who are around us. Amen. It didn't matter what God did to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened to God's plan. God's desire then and now is to offer mercy, grace, and deliverance, but ultimately God is just, and the wages of sin is death. And so death must come to those who refuse to repent. The wages of sin is death, and so death must come to those who refuse to repent. Why? Because God is just, and he can only ever be just. He is immutable. He changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. If the wages of sin is death, what does that look like? Well, death is a it's separation from life. God is the author and the giver of life. He owns it. So death is an existence void of life. Death is an existence void of God. God pursues people all the days of their lives. It's true of me and it's true of you. God has pursued you every day of your life. And that's why we're here worshiping today. Maybe that's why you're here in church today. Maybe you're not a believer yet, but I promise you that you are here listening to this message today because God is pursuing you. And the only answer that leads to life is to accept the author of life and to accept the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come that you might have life and have it abundantly. If we choose death, though, we need to understand that death is an existence void of life. Death is an existence void of God. People, if people reject God, they will live with that decision forever. This death experience that the scripture is talking about is eternal and will never end. Just like the eternal life that God gives to his people is eternal and will never end. 
the antithesis, the death that comes to unrepentant sinners is eternal and it will never, ever end. James 1, 12 through 17 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So God is the giver of every good gift. If that is true, why are we so afraid to trust him? If that is true, why are we so afraid to believe him? If that is true, why are we so afraid to walk in close intimacy with him? If he is the giver of every good gift, why are we afraid of him? Because he is the giver of every good gift, we have nothing to fear because of our new life, our born-again experience our adoption into his family. He is a better father than any of us have experienced or can be. He's a better God than any person, any so-called God that you allow to reign and rule in your life. God is the giver of every good gift. It is God's desire to bless humanity with goodness. That is his desire. So what are the good things that God has given to humanity? Well, as we read in Genesis, God gave light. We can read about that in Genesis 1-3. So that means if he gave it, he owns it. And it's his to give. 2 Corinthians 4-6 says, for God who said, let Light shine out of the darkness, out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God said, let there be light, and it's God's desire to shine that light in our lives so that we might know Jesus and eternal life. God owns the light, and it is his desire to give it. But if someone rejects the light, that is their choice. If you reject the light, that is your choice. Again, a few weeks ago when a few of us were backpacking at night in the mountains and we would turn off our headlights and it was darkness all around. Darkness. But we had the ability to turn on our lights and see we have that ability in Christ to have the light of life shine in our world to, to flush out the darkness and to make things clear to us. God owns the light. But if someone rejects the light, that is their choice. So life void of God is void of light. So imagine an existence in total darkness. That is the type of existence you will experience if you reject the giver of light. So we know that eternity, for those who reject God, will be lived in total and utter darkness. It's a darkness that will be felt. It's a darkness that saturates. It's a darkness that is inescapable. What other good things has God given to humanity? Genesis 1.8 tells us that God created heaven. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so the Hebrew word for heaven is used to talk about the three heavens. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. 
The first heaven is where the birds fly. We can see it. The second heaven is outer space where the stars and the moon and the galaxies are. The third heaven is where God reigns. It's the abode of God. God created all of it. God owns all of it. God gives heaven to those who accept him. God withholds heaven from those who reject him. We cannot have our cake and eat it too. So I will say what I said a moment ago, that those who are in utter darkness, detached from God for all eternity, will know that they chose it. They chose it because the God who has pursued me all the days of my life has pursued you all the days of their life, has pursued every human being all the days of their lives. And like Pharaoh, people hardened their heart to the plans of God. <clears throat> and so the people who are in heaven will know that it is by God's grace that we are there. By God's grace, we said yes. By God's grace, in the face of temptation and difficulty and trials and the challenges of this life, we turned and looked to Jesus. And so we say, by God's grace, we are there. If we spend eternity separated from God in outer darkness, total darkness, saturating darkness, complete and total darkness, it will be because we chose it. What do we know about heaven? Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Those who accept God's gift of eternal life get to enjoy both. <laughs> Those who reject God's gift of eternal life will miss out. So there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We can read about it at the end of this study in Revelation chapter 21. A new heaven and a new earth. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things will be made new. And so However it works, we'll be able to go from the new heaven to the new earth back and forth. We'll be going back and forth through all, all eternity, accomplishing even in eternity the plans and the purposes of God for our existence for all eternity. So what God is trying to accomplish in us now, this commitment to follow his plans and purposes here in the earth, it's, he's, try, he's just getting us warmed up for all eternity where we'll be doing the same thing having purpose in the new heaven and the new earth to glorify God for all eternity. Amen. So we're getting warmed up when we worship on a Sunday morning or whenever it is that we worship, we're just getting warmed up because for all eternity, as we have read in the scripture, the 24 elders, the living creatures, all of heaven rejoices and worships the eternal God. So we're getting a warm up here. And if we can't figure out how to worship now, it's going to be a weird thing when we get up there and we're going to know that we wasted a lot of time here on the earth not submitting ourselves to the awe and the wonder of God. And so let's figure it out now. So that means you got to humble yourself now. you got to repent now. you got to get low now and exalt the name of Jesus in your life at worship in our church services, and in your day-to-day -day life. So again, Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And those who accept, those who accept God's gift of eternal life get to enjoy both. See, there's no downside for trusting Jesus. There is no downside. Here, or for eternity, there is no downside. Whatever you're wanting to experience here in this life that's keeping you from Jesus, it's a, it's a compromise, it's a cheap uh, knockoff, it's not real. It's what the enemy has used to dupe you, to lie to you, to destroy your life. Because his only purpose, the enemy's only purpose is to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, to keep you from the giver of life. So there's no downside to trusting Jesus. But if you reject God's gift of eternal life, you'll miss out. And listen, this is your choice. It is not God's desire. Your, 
future eternity, your, your life in eternity is in your hands because God has made a way for you to be saved. And if because you are proud or hard-hearted or arrogant or unrelenting, if, if you just will not open your eyes to the things of God, then it is on you. But know this, it is God's desire to bless you and to give you life and to set you free in Jesus' name. This is the heart of God. So wherever you end up, wherever I end up for all eternity, we'll know that we had a say. Let's look at God's description of heaven. Revelation 21, one through eight. In my Bible, this is titled the new heaven and the new earth. So this is what's coming for us who believe. This is not what is coming to everybody. This is what is coming to those who have believed and placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is what he has for us. Then I saw a new heaven, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, the dwelling place of God is with man. We will be with God forever and ever. Amen. It says he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And this is his promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. I am sick to my stomach of death. This week, we just lost another member of our church family. Joanne Kaufman passed away. Now, we've been expecting it for a while, and we're grateful she's with the Lord. But I'm heartsick over the constant and continual loss that we experience in this life. She knew Jesus, but I'm going to miss her. I am sick to death of death. Not in heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. <laughs> it is Done, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payments. We're hungering and thirsting for something from God. And God promises in his word that he will give it. We can't pay for it. It was given as a free gift to us. The water of life the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that quenches every thirst. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. The one who conquers, the one who stays faithful to the end. How do you stay faithful to the end? You have to open up the pages of scripture and read it every day. You have to open up the pages of scripture and allow God to inform you of his plans and purposes. You will not endure if you do not open the pages of scripture and invest your heart and mind there. You will not overcome. You will be overcome by the world if you allow the world to overcome you. You overcome the world by opening up the pages of scripture and reading it, and eating it, and being built up in your most holy faith by the scripture that God has given. You endure till the end as you submit your life 
to Jesus Christ, your every area, every arena, you will overcome if you do that. If you refuse to do that, something will take you out because the enemy works 24-7 to take you out. The world and the flesh and the devil will take you out if you don't make God your priority. You've seen it in your life. When you refuse to make God your priority, you compromised with sin and you brought danger into your life with that compromise. You are, you are a sitting duck if you don't exercise spiritual disciplines. This is why we talk about spiritual disciplines all of the time, because we need it. I need it. You need it. We need the spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture, the reading of God's Word being filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting constantly to the plans and purposes of God. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, some of you have been cowardly and you need to man up or woman up whatever it is but you need to decide to quit being cowardly about your faith and about who you are and about what Jesus has done in your life the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexual he the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere do I see in Scripture that God is anxious to send people to hell. He is anxious to bring people into eternal life. But people choose hell of their own volition. This is God's heart. John 3, 16 through 21, for God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, that, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. There is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ the Lord. Verse 19, and this is the judgment Listen to this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light has come into the world, Jesus, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We need to understand the heart of God. It is God's desire to save people, not to destroy them. God clearly made a way for that salvation. It is his free gift to all who receive it. Th listen, those who reject, those who reject salvation through Jesus Christ will live with that decision for all eternity. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. So everything good that you've experienced in this life is a gift from God. It's, a, it's, it's something that God gives to us that will only be 
wonderfully better in all eternity. We can unpack that for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I'm just going to ask you, will you trust him? Do you trust him? If God is the giver of every good gift, what do we have to be afraid of? What are we holding on to in this life that is so good that we would reject the giver of lights, the giver of life, that we would reject the creator of everything, the giver of everything that is good? What is so good about this life? If we will allow the the blinders of our eyes and the hardness of our heart to fall away, we would see with clarity that God is worth any perceived sacrifice that we make in this earth. He is worthy because he made the ultimate sacrifice. Will you receive it? Let's go ahead and stand. And if you're here today and you want to receive it, you just simply receive it in Jesus' name. You tell God, I am receiving you, your light, your life, your salvation. I am, I want to be born again in Jesus. I'm giving my life to you. Everything belongs to you. So Lord, for those who are here, I, I don't even want it to be a public thing because it needs to start with sincerity in, in your own heart. But then once you've done it, I need you to, I, I want you to tell somebody that you've done it. You can go back to the info center and they'll give you a bag with a Bible and some help, uh, some things that will help you along in your walk with the Lord. But tell somebody else who is a follower of Jesus Christ that you too now are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and get up every single day and make that your declaration and your plan. And so Lord, as we worship now, I pray that we would worship in spirit and in truth, that we would not be inhibited or intimidated or embarrassed, but we would just be worshiping. Worshipers in spirit and in truth, be glorified as we do. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship.